Welcome to I'll Be Dash, a Woodhouse podcast. I'm Robin. And I'm Scott. And we are a father-daughter duo who read and discuss the works of P.G. Woodhouse. This week we are discussing The Pot Hunters, which is Woodhouse's first novel published in 1902. He was 21 at the time. Perhaps we will see some evidence of that. <laughs> I was about to say, and it shows. <laughs> uh, it is set at St. Austin's and contains characters that will show up later in other short stories, possibly novels, but I definitely know some of them show up in short stories. Do we just want to go straight into chapters or do we kind of want to discuss the book? Because I'll be honest that this is... Not not counting the nonfiction book I read, this is the first Woodhouse book that I will say was below average. I would agree with that. It was um, it's just kind of boring. <laughs> it it, it like can... compared compared to other books that we've read. Yeah, it contained a lot of the elements about Woodhouse that probably both of us don't generally enjoy and it put them all in one novel so i will say there was uh one chapter like probably like midway through where i have a note where i'm like who is this dude <laughs> i think you may have done better than me because i was saying that a lot during the novel quite well, honestly and it took me until like i think like halfway through that chapter to be like oh we've met him before <laughs> because <laughs> that's the thing about this book they're just like there's so many characters there's so many characters in such a short book uh for reference the book is roughly 120 pages long mm -hmm. and it has there's at least 15 yeah 15 i would say central characters yeah there's yeah. not really a main character unless it's jim yeah which well, is annoying because we we meet like Tony and Alan first, and Alan barely plays a part at all yeah. in, in the book. Yeah. I compared it because I finished reading it last night and I was filming for my YouTube channel and I compared it to like when you're at a concert and just there are too many people in like your personal bubble. That's how it felt in my brain. I just felt very like very like tight and closed up because I'm like, there are too many people. Wait, who what? What? Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It was just, it was too much. It, I'm still trying to figure, like, what the hell was the purpose of Plunkett? Oh, right. It, it's like, so I was like, put he, suspicion off of. I, I yeah. guess, but, you know, okay, well, we'll, we'll just, I guess we'll just have Let's to just go into it because we'll it's, it's into so it. confusing to try to. It's very confusing. Um, I, I, I would usually say this to the end of the podcast, but I personally would not recommend this book. It, yeah, it, there are better Woodhouse books to read. If you're into sports, I guess maybe it um, is all around a sports day. Yeah, it's school. a sports in teen boys at a boarding school. Missing, I would say the trademark woodhouse humor that we are used to yeah i maybe there were 
humorous parts in here, I don't feel like I really encountered too many of interest. So we could start off in chapter one and to get this out of the way. Well, I wrote this note, but of course it doesn't play a part in any other chapter, really. Which You could say that about a lot of things in this book, but a, when he's talking about like weight 11, that would be stones. Stones are the equivalent of oh. pounds. So okay. the weight class that Tony's fighting in is like 11 stone, which is 154 pounds. Okay. I I thought that may be a question you had, so. Not really. Like, I, I don't know the conversion, but I know that it's talking about, like, weight. But I, yeah. I don't know the conversion. Yeah. So we meet Tony Graham in Allen. Uh, Tony goes to St. Austin's. He's the best middleweight there, but Alan Thompson, that's Thompson without a P. Which becomes important later. Becomes important later, but Alan and, doesn't really. And isn't at all confusing. <laughs> I was kind of like, why would you name them? So oh, it's like, that's why you named it. That's described. Yeah. But we'll get to that yeah. in the chapter. Like, that's a great, like, Plot device, I guess, but I feel like there are other ways you could have made that. Happen. Yeah. Alan goes to rugby, which doesn't really matter. <laughs> There's a, a I mean, it doesn't for the story, it doesn't matter at all. <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm sure it matters to Alan, but for us, the reader, no, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Uh, there's a description of a boxing match that doesn't even involve the two of them. Yeah. Which we will also get description of a foot race later that does not matter to the plot at all. Nope. I mean, I think there was more description of the foot race and the boxing matches than some of the cricket games that we've had in the Mike novels. I don't know if that's true. <laughs> it felt like it. I, I would disagree, but I can appreciate how much you didn't like it. I was it, if it served a purpose, but it didn't serve a purpose. It's just, oh, Woodhouse is just doing this because he likes sports. So he, I mean over isn't that, isn't that the entire reason he wrote the book? I, I apparently. I mean, it made some sense in, like, the Mike novels because cricket played a part of the novel. Sure, yeah. Sports doesn't really play a huge part in here except for the the pots the themselves. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. Which they call them cups, but they call the pots in the title. I, I mentioned here that uh, we see some of the consequences of this being Woodhouse's first book because just a lot of description yeah. of something that we don't care about and that we later find out doesn't play a part at all in the novel. <laughs> uh, Alan fights someone and does just enough to win. Eventually it comes to the two of them, uh, Alan and Tony. Alan is beating Tony rather handily after the first round, but Tony comes back in the second. Alan is able to get back in his first round form, but Tony hits him in the jaw and drops him, winning the match. And that's chapter one. It wasn't that exciting. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. I hate the way that this is in Kindles. So I'm just going to have to go through like every fucking page. 
they don't have it broken up by chapter. Oh. They're just like, you made a note on this page. And it's like, great, that's not actually helpful. I mean, I made, I made a note because Dad was uh, complaining early on about, like, all the description of boxing, which apparently Dad doesn't care for. I don't mind boxing. I much prefer it to cricket because I actually I, I will say, it's not that I, I mind boxing. It's mm-hmm. like, what's the purpose of the description? If If, okay. if there was a purpose to it, Sure. And I, I enjoyed the writing. Yeah, I could. And I understood it. And I understand boxing. It, sure. It's not cricket. So I would be fine with it, but it doesn't really serve a purpose. Yeah. No, that's fair. Um, like some I, of your high school essays. <laughs> it's like, why are these words here? I feel like that was unnecessary. It's funny, though. <laughs> so I, I, made, I made a comment just... This, and this is maybe me stupid and like reaching a little bit for like I need to have things to talk about. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I pretty much made a comment. I was like, "Oh, this is actually like good advice because one of Alan's coaches was like, make sure you keep your guard up." And was like, "Yeah, that's good advice in boxing. <laughs> you don't just get punched in the face repeatedly." <laughs> oh, and then I just highlighted. <laughs> I thought it was funny the way that w- Woodhouse did have like funny things in the book. Just not as many as I'm used to. Yeah. But he, he had this comment about like what it's like to get like a a massage after a boxing match. Mm-hmm. And he's like, it is a very cheering thing at any time to have one's arms and legs kneaded like bread. And it is especially pleasant if one is at all nervous. It sends a glow through the entire frame. Like somebody's something, it is graceful. Like somebody's something, it is both grateful and comforting. And I was just like, you're waxing poetic about a, a sports massage. <laughs> Again, this was published when he was 21, so I don't know when he wrote it. He, 19, 20, whatever. I assume he wrote it when he was at school. <laughs> and that could be, but he, I, I think maybe he was out of school and feeling nostalgic about school. Sure. So yeah. he just wrote about all the things he enjoyed about school. And it, it's just like, that's good for you, man. But uh, I don't care. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, that's all I had about this chapter, actually. <laughs> all right. Uh, chapter two. Tony is walking his and is met by Robinson, his chore boy. I won't use the word that they use because it's a it's a derogatory term nowadays. Nowadays, and also very was, confusing. Yeah, it it was not. It, it it's also another term for British cigarette. We'll leave it at that. So I will yeah. not use the word during the podcast. Um, but it's essentially like, and I know we've talked about this before. It's essentially a running boy, like an, an errand boy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I use chore boy. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, Robinson tells Tony someone has broken into the pavilion. This is an important thing. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> uh, apparently, many sports awards, which were made of silver, and which, if we haven't mentioned before, uh, I guess apparently at, at this time, first place was silver as opposed to what we're used to now first place being gold oh i didn't even i didn't even like notice that yeah it's i was just like oh awards (laughs) that's been mentioned previously in him like uh got the silver. oh that was first place i Mm -hmm. i don't know 
when that changed or mm-hmm. if it was for schools or whatever. But yeah, silver was like for first place. Tony's friend Jimmy is feeling down. Jimmy or or Jim, which we refer to him, people use the word the name Jim more often for him, is actually Alan's brother. Uh, he had a bet on Alan, mm-hmm. which he lost, of course. But also, he made the bet with Alan. So <laughs> which, Alan, Alan bet against himself, apparently. Yeah, which some some other character whose name I don't remember points out, like, <laughs> Alan bet against himself? Yeah, which I yeah. guess is a good strategy, because either way, you're happy. Yeah, and also, this doesn't really come up later the fact that alan bet against himself so it 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 was like oh i need a plot device and here it is and pretty much except for a letter bye alan (laughs) yeah we don't need you anymore uh jim won't ask his father for money because the old man is down on betting sure his father has said he'll give jim a quid for every race he wins this will come back into play although by Honestly, by the time I got to the the racing chapter, mm-hmm. I had forgotten about that. I had completely forgotten about it. Because I was like, why Why is it so important that he w- won this for his money? <laughs> yeah, I had completely <laughs> forgotten about that part. Yeah. Uh, Jim thinks he has a shot, but he is concerned about Drake uh, with reason. <laughs> <laughs> In all the talk, Tony forgot to tell Jim about the pavilion robbery, which Woodhouse makes such a case out of that. And then in the next chapter, <laughs> Jim finds out about it. So it's like, okay, why does it matter that Tony forgot to tell him? Yeah. <laughs> but that is that chapter. <laughs> that's, that's that. <laughs> that's that. Um, Woodhouse has, re- has eased us into the rab hole. But after that, he's just going to really just throw characters at us. Well, I mean, and because of that, it almost feels like the easing is a little (laughs) too eased. (laughs) Like, it takes you by surprise. Yeah, it's like, oh, There's so many characters. Because, like... like, Sorry. (laughs) It's like, oh, Tony and Alan. Oh, okay, Tony and Alan's brother. Okay, and then the next chapter, it's like, oh... Completely new characters. And and I have a name in the next chapter that I'm looking at. It's like, do we even see this character again? Which one? Morrison? Who's Morrison? (laughs) I don't think we see him again. Yeah, uh, Robinson tells him about the robbery. Yeah, I don't think we see him Uh, again. Okay, so yeah, I'm like, I, I'm just like I have no idea who this one is. Yeah, okay, but uh, do, any other thoughts or notes about chapter two? <laughs> yeah, um, oh, I had to appreciate Robinson and like how much of a gossip he is because I, I highlighted there are a few pleasures keener than the pleasure of telling somebody something he didn't know before, and yeah. I'm like, that's that's how you justify gossiping but i also made a note that it's a dangerous slope to mansplaining <laughs> telling someone something they didn't know before i mean oh i i, I feel like it's a very slippery slope for some people <laughs> i i understand what you're saying i think that's a bit of a reach especially in this novel since we don't really get a female character until like the last chapter or two 
We have three female characters. I noted them. Okay, I, I remember the mother and daughter. At, we have at, the mother and daughter, and then we have the matron of the house. Oh, okay. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but does she even have a speaking part? I think she has. If she doesn't have like actual dialogue, it's something where like this character spoke to the matron who did yeah. whatever. I believe it's like that, not like she yeah. had actual dialogue. And, and did the mother and daughter have actual dialogue? I don't the think mother the mother did. did. Yeah, the okay. I don't think the daughter did. So um, we have possibly one female character that had dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> Anywho, um, this is a perfect the, novel for you. Yeah, it's not at all annoying. Yay, um, boys! So <laughs> when they're like. I think they're looking at the window. Yeah. They go to look at the window that was like cut out and it said like a pane had been neatly removed evidently in the Orthodox way by means of a diamond. And I immediately questioned that because <laughs> one, I've never seen a diamond cut glass. I know that they're supposed to be able to, but I've never seen it. And so my question is like, would it really be neat though? Which is sort of, that comes up later. <laughs> it's shown to be it's not actually that neat of a cut. And then my question was like, who carried a random diamond? But I guess if it was a professional burglar, they would have. No, yes. Just happens to not be the case. And that's all I have for chapter two. Okay. I'm just like, <sighs> it's sort of a struggle to get through, okay? Yeah, I, I read half of it like yesterday, but I had yeah. read the first half like for a week beforehand and I kept like putting it off because I was like because it's not it's not engaging at all. It it is not engaging. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah, I mean that's really all you can say. It's not engaging. <laughs> all right. Chapter three. Robinson tells Morrison about the robbery, but Morrison doesn't believe him, which leads to them fighting. Two other young men join the fight before asking what it is about. Morrison still doesn't believe it, so Robinson bets him, although he doubts Morrison will pay up, which makes me think, oh, Morrison's going to have a part to play in this novel. But as we have seen, we don't remember Morrison from the rest of the book, and I didn't remember him when I was reading this until I saw the name. It's like, oh, okay. Yeah, I, I really don't think he's in the rest of the book at all. They are all late for the bell and are assigned 200 lines each, uh, which Woodhouse says shows how wrong it is to bet. Considering his whole book is about betting, that's not the message that I'm getting. Uh, <laughs> and I rhymed unintentionally. <laughs> You're a poet and you don't even know it. Uh it is soon discovered that the burglar only took three items, two challenge cups, and a seemingly valueless flask. Although we find out later that he actually took something else, but we do not mm -hmm. know about this yet. In which I hope that I remember to write. But if I didn't, we will mention it later somehow. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of back and forth of a lot of different characters. This is what I, I've written when I'm only on chapter three, I haven't even seen the. Rest <laughs> you wrote that. There's a lot of back and forth between a lot of different yeah. characters. <laughs> I wrote too many, actually. 
Reed tells a story about his family being burgled, apparently adding uh, details to the story each time. He's offended when this appointed out and refuses to say Barrett's name during roll call. Barrett wants to go on a bike ride. And that's the end of the chapter. And and I did not appreciate there being characters named Barrett and Plunkett because I mixed them up. Oh. Okay. It, you know, Barrett and Plunkett, then we got Thompson and Thompson later. Yeah. It's just like, come on, Woodhouse. I mean, I know you've been dead like 50 years, but bro. <laughs> this book you wrote when you were 21? When you were 21? <laughs> uh, 121 years ago. <laughs> uh, so you have anything on chapter three? Which is when I believe that it really starts to go off the rails for me. I had to appreciate when I think it's yeah, Robinson and Morrison are, are talking and Morrison calls Robinson like this kid and he gets Robinson gets really offensive or offended. Um and Morrison corrects himself and he says, This lunatic then and my my note was like Robinson's right, lunatic is much better than kid. Because honestly, I would rather be referred to as crazy than like a child because that, that's been such a, a common occurrence throughout like my youth i guess <laughs> but like in any field that i've worked in like when i was a paralegal i was constantly being putting down being put down because i was younger and so it's something that really bothers me if someone's like oh kid or or whatever like well that would really bother me too so i'm like yeah call me a lunatic that one's fine <laughs> to be fair you're probably projecting a little bit because you yeah. have always looked much younger than you are i mean yes which is fair but it's also just like i get it i get it robinson i wouldn't want to be called kid either <laughs> even if that is technically what he is <laughs> Well, I'm glad that you could empathize with at least one character. With one of them, right? <laughs> that, I think that's the only one I can really empathize with. I will say, um, the the character I was talking about, completely forgetting that I had seen him before, was Barrett. I had completely forgotten about this chapter by the time I read his chapter later yeah, on. It's amazing how short a book it is, and that by, you, that by the time you get to the end of it, you're like... Because when I'm reading these chapters, like, oh, yeah, that did happen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and it's funny because, like, I read I read most of this book yesterday. <laughs> and so and it's, you're like, who's Morrison? <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yeah, but it's also like, so I read most of the book. I like I would say like 90 percent of the book I read yesterday. And in the space of a couple hours, I forgot that I had met not only met Barrett before, but had an entire chapter with Barrett. I had completely forgotten him. But if I if I remember correctly, you, you meet Barrett and then you you have a few chapters with Barrett, but then he disappears for a while, which is not an uncommon occurrence yeah. in this book. Yeah. Like when Plunkett shows up again, I was like, I'd forgotten all about this guy. And oh yeah, doesn't really serve a purpose. 
Yeah, so me empathizing with Robinson was my only note for that chapter. Okay. <laughs> okay, chapter four, Woodhouse is making us still think, oh, there's going to be like a, a direct line of characters through these chapters. He's just like, okay, chapter three was like, you know, an anomaly. Now we're back to Jim and Tony again. Okay, mm -hmm. this is going to be how it's going to be. <laughs> Harley Brown with the football here. Jim asked Tony to be in the study after lunch because there's going to be a row or a fight. Uh, Jim tells Tony he left notes for the examination in the pavilion, which is now locked up. He went back to get them. And the way Woodhouse writes this is mm -hmm. a little bit confusing for me. Yeah. I at first thought he was talking about they're there now. Yeah. And it's actually, oh, no, he's saying that they were the night of the burglary, so he mm -hmm. tried to get them then, which... Yeah, there's actually a flashback. Yeah, which I didn't get when I first started reading the chapter. I was like, what? what? Yeah. So there were only three choices for him. Go to the form master, borrow notes from another house member, or sneaking into the pavilion. He... Couldn't do the first because of curfew and the master didn't have notes. The only other six-form boy doesn't take notes. So he decided to do the burglary <laughs> going through the matron's room. Uh, Jim picked up a stone and threw it in the window. He waited to make sure no one caught him. But then uh, a, a form drops and someone is apparently running away from him. Jim is concerned that he may now be found out and says that there will be a detective coming because we need another character. Yep. If I didn't explain that correctly, the night of the burglary, Jim was going to get his notes, but there was also somebody in the pavilion stealing the cups and the flask and something mm -hmm. else. And so there just happened to be two people at the same time in yeah. there so jim thinks he's done for so my my note this may be the no it's not the only one okay when he's talking about he's trying to like problem solve and figure out like how can i get notes there is one other like sixth form guy in the house but he apparently waits until the night before to cram yeah and, i i just kind of shorthanded yeah it. he doesn't take notes yeah yeah, so he, he crams, and so he doesn't give up his notes. Yeah. And I guess Jim had had asked this guy whose name I don't know how to pronounce, Charteris? Oh, Charteris, wh who, yeah, who will. Yeah, we'll see later. We will um, see him later. But Jim had previously asked him, like, if he could borrow notes. And Charteris had said, Kill my father and burn my ancestral home, and I will look on and smile. But touch these notes, and you rouse the British lion. And I'm just like, you know what? I get it. So, no notes? <laughs> no, no notes. <laughs> like, I am also very protective of my notes. Well, yeah, okay, but yeah, you do your notes much differently than Charteris. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but I'm just like, would I go so far as, like, yes, kill my father, and I'd be fine with it? Like, well, no. Hello, wait a minute. <laughs> well, well, no, I'm saying, like, that was a bit extreme. He could have just said no. <laughs> I think killing your father is very extreme. 
and should not be done. Oh, and then I, I sort of I, I questioned Woodhouse's logic. <laughs> <laughs> Many times. So this is one time that I, I wrote it down. Okay. So Jim is like, all right, I'm going to go to the pavilion and take my notes. I have to sneak out of the house. And he's like trying to figure out how he's going to sneak out. He said he thought of the matron's sitting room that was on the ground floor. And if the matron happened to be out, exit would be easy. And I'm like, if the matron is out of the house, why don't you just go out the front door? I mean, the housemaster may still be around. I guess. Because the housemaster still, like, sleeps in the house. Yeah. Yeah, I guess that's a fair point. It was just something where I was like, okay, but I mean, if she's out, like... No, I, I get your thinking, but I'm like... Yeah. And, and plus, um, and I cannot... I, I don't think Jim is a prefect, so, like, if he ran into a prefect, that could be a problem, too. I think he is. A, I think prefect. he is a. Prefect. He could be. I honestly can't remember. I think he is a prefect, because there was a the whole thing later with the the headmaster and. Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he's a, he is a prefect. <laughs> yeah, and, and I know it's coming across like I didn't pay attention. There's just so many. There's so much here. to remember. There's so much. It's like, uh, so much. And then my only other note for that chapter was just because I'm I'm reading this like making notes blindly, right? Like I <laughs> I'm not <laughs> I, so I'll I'll make notes of like like in this chapter when Jim heard a thud and I was like, oh well, there's the interruption from the of the burglary. Like now we know what that was and why the burglary stopped. Um, so I'm like trying to solve it as I'm going. And so sometimes I'll make stupid notes <laughs> and then discover later that they are stupid. <laughs> uh, well, I mean, I do the same too because I, I write stuff and then like I get to a later chapter and it's like, uh, oh, okay, I was wrong. Like I started writing the notes in this chapter thinking he was talking about notes being in there right now. Yeah, yeah. Rather than the night of the burglary, so. Yeah, it's not made super clear. <laughs> chapter five. New characters, Dallas, <laughs> Vaughn, and MacArthur, also known as the Bay, because we need another name so that I get to a later chapter and I go, who the hell's MacArthur? It's the babe. Because, yeah, well, it is, but he doesn't get mentioned for many chapters, yeah. so we get to the chapter later and it's like, Okay, so the babe and MacArthur are there. Wait a minute. What? Huh? What? <laughs> <laughs> so they're talking about Plunkett, who they call or says a mutual friend of Vaughn and Dallas. Although nobody really likes the Plunkett, so I don't know. Yeah, I had originally made a comment or highlighted something. Oh, because. MacArthur asks why they say mutual friend. And Vaughn says, partly because we love him so. Oh, he's a beauty. And I originally highlighted that. I was like, oh, no, I took it back <laughs> because I was like, he's later on, I'm like, oh, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, Dallas describes him as a worm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Plunkett is patronizing, 
and I don't know why this is an insult, but he reads Herodotus in the original Greek. I took that to mean that he's like pretentious. I yeah, I guess. It, his biggest crime though, uh, has no love for football or cricket. Mm. Which in, in Woodhouse world, that's the that, is a crime. That's pawn scum there. <laughs> Plunkett has been made head boy, although Vaughn was next in line. And we get a whole history about this, even though it doesn't matter. <laughs> Uh, apparently Ward, the house head, said someone other than Vaughn should be the head boy. The other boys are wondering where Plunkett goes during the afternoon. They talk smack about him some more. Even though he is head of house, he won't step in to stop the younger boys from fighting. Plunkett comes in and drives the babe off, and then he goes to senior study. Vaughn and Dallas discuss him and then talk about the robbery. They discuss whether drink Drake or Thompson is going to win the mile, which, if we remember, Thompson needs to win the mile to get the money to pay Allen back. <laughs> Jesus. Um, <laughs> Dad just looks so exhausted already. <laughs> I, I'm just like, good Lord, what if this was like 250 pages long instead of 120? Yeah. Plunkett takes a stroll. Dallas wonders if Vaughn has picked the hun the house gymnastics team yet doesn't matter dallas is just waiting for plunkett to put the list up doesn't matter he is looked for but not found vaughn is asked by the matron to unlock the door to let the other boys in which surprises him since plunkett is somehow out without having unlocked the door he had gone out a window uh earlier going against the rules which mm -hmm. obviously we will see later Plunkett does that a lot, but it serves no purpose, so who cares? <laughs> That's the end of that chapter. You okay? Yeah. <laughs> so something that I noted, because you know, we, we've read other school stories. I thought Robin that... just fell asleep. <laughs> <laughs> that uh studies were like a choice like you got to choose who was in your like study room or, or whatever but according to this chapter at least it was assigned and so i was just i'm, I'm just, i don't know how the british school system works is pretty much how is <laughs> pretty much how to sum up my confusion with this it's like i just don't understand I don't know the full ins or out, but if you remember in uh, Mike and Smith, yeah, the study was supposed to be, I can't remember the guy's name. What's his one, face? Yeah, what's his face? Uh, and that was supposed to be his room, but, you know, Smith uh, finagled. Stole it. That. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it, I think it's probably a combination of both. Studies are probably given on basis of like if you're like a head boy or a prefect you probably have a choice whereas if you're lower down you probably just like you go oh. there and you go there oh okay that's okay. my opinion i don't know if it's right oh and then the <laughs> vaughn was vaughn and dallas are talking to the babe talking about like this row that happened or something and they tried to get like plunkett to stop it i guess mm -hmm. and plunkett's response was 
what does it have to do with me? And my comment was like, it's your job. Yeah. You're, you're a prefect. <laughs> like that's part of your job is stopping other people from breaking rules. Like I said, like part of it is just looking for where I can make comments <laughs> so we can have things to talk about because I found this book really boring. So for people who don't know what a prefect's job is, to keep other students in line. This chapter was incredibly long. Jesus, all right. Well, um, I have to go page by page to flip through see where I have notes. <laughs> yeah, and for reference, just look at like uh, Harry Potter, you know, mm -hmm. like Percy was, yeah. I believe, like a head boy. Yeah. So basically get in everybody else's business. <laughs> yeah. Essentially. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter six. <laughs> Charteris and Welcher talking in their study. Or Charteris is talking and playing the banjo while Welch is reading and ignoring him. Charteris is a chatterbox while Welch is quiet. Welch is good at everything while Charteris is more ordinary. He secretly edits a periodical called The Glowworm. I mean, it, it does come up later, at least, so... It does, yeah. I I don't think that we need, needed to know the differences between the two boys, because it plays absolutely no part in the book, yeah. but... Yeah. Uh, there's a knock at the door, and Tony and Jim come in. Jackson comes in after. I don't remember who he is. Uh, <laughs> There you go. So, <laughs> the other sees Welch suggesting he is the one who did the burglary as two of the items are prizes for races that he would be participating in. They talk about the burglary because that's apparently all everybody at the school does. It seems, oh, apparently there is a witness to it or Adamson, another character, why not, had two pounds in in a, a jacket in the pavilion, which have also been stolen. Jim thinks this makes it seem less unlikely that people will believe it wasn't him as everybody needs money. Okay. Uh, sure. Chapter's over. See, this is what happens when neither of us like the book. <laughs> I mean, it would be different like if I really liked the book or you really liked the book and yeah. the other person didn't. And then we could have yeah. we could have a pretty good row there. But <laughs> in honestly, it would also be better if it was just a bad book. Sure. But as you said, it's just boring. it's just fine. It, yeah, it's boring. So I, chapter six. Yeah, so I had a question. I probably do not have an answer. Wait, what chapter are we on? Six. Six. Okay, just want to be sure I was in the right place. So, Charteris speaks strangely. <laughs> okay. So, at one point, there, you know, the boys are all in there, and he says, there are only four chairs, and we, as Wordsworth might have said, but didn't, are five. And my, my comment was like, what? <laughs> what does that mean? I mean, it's just it's a wordy way of saying we get more 
burlesque chairs. But why bring Wordsworth into it? I mean, because he's a pretentious schoolboy. I guess that's fair. I mean, based on the fact that he publishes the Glowworm, I yeah, he's probably a little pretentious. Yeah, my other comment was also about Charteris, but this was about him being a dick because but he's so unique among these characters. Yeah, uh, well, because he gets like super judgy about Welch like changing his diet in preparation for the race. Oh, <laughs> he, he's like, I have been forced to look on a fellow being refusing pastry and drinking beastly extracts of meat, all for the sake of winning a couple of races. And I was like, okay, yeah, I mean, diets suck, sure, but that's Welch's choice. Don't judge him. That's what you that's what he has to do to win. I mean it seems to have worked out for Welch, spoiler yeah. alert. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I was just like, what the Oh <laughs> this one was a stupid comment. <laughs> you know that song, uh, Wild Horses from like The Rolling Stones? Originally no. done by the Rolling Stones? Yes. <laughs> the the Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Yes. Okay. Because <laughs> I could see you going, that's not the Rolling Stones. I was like, it's a female singer. <laughs> <laughs> I've never heard the original. <laughs> but Charter, God, Charters again. Um, he says, wild horses shall, shall draw no evidence from us. And I just commented, wild horses. I know that's not the tune, but I don't have it in my head right now. But that's immediately like, about I, I do know the tune, but I will not sing it for the sake of our listeners. <laughs> but listeners, Google the wild horses in stuff in the vampire slayer, and then you'll understand. Yeah. Uh, season three, episode 20, The Prom. <laughs> wow. Yep. <laughs> How many times have you watched that episode? I don't know. It's. I, I I actually have recently watched uh, somebody doing a reaction to it. Oh, okay. I don't know if I would. I, well, I knew it was season three because that's the year they graduate mm -hmm. high school. But yeah, I don't know if I would have remembered that it was episode twenty without that. <laughs> okay. Also, uh, just because I can, I'm on chapter seven now, and I can see this is where I was confused who Barrett was. Because I commented, because it's Barrett is the first word in the chapter, and I just wrote, Who is this dude? <laughs> yeah. Well, again, I think some of that may have to do with the fact that we have somebody whose name ends with ETT mm -hmm. with Plunkett. So, yeah. and then uh, before Barrett didn't really wait, have we met him before or not? Yeah. Who? Barrett? Uh, yeah, chapter three. Yeah. Yeah, that that's the situation where I was like, yeah, we've apparently met him before. Yeah, but it took me like through halfway through this chapter to be like, oh yeah. All right, chapter seven. Barrett stands in the study. He is whistling, which annoys Reed, but not so much that he's willing to say anything. Eventually, Barrett leaves. So I'm so glad we got the whole whistling <laughs> thing out of the way. Yeah, we need to know that he whistles. <laughs> Barrett runs into somebody, but I apparently screwed up this name because I don't know who he talked to. 
isn't it gray or something? Is it gray? I have I have gray. <laughs> so I apparently just missed the letter or something. Oh I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's gray. It's gray. It's gray. I, yeah. I do have it later in here also. So yeah, he runs into gray and they talk about bear wanting to get eggs. <laughs> and Wait, I'm like, by the way, was the store? Super, <laughs> it was super confusing. I did have a note about that where I was like, <laughs> everything seemed to shout eggs at him <laughs> to remind him that he was an enthusiast on the subject and had a collection to which he ought to seize this excellent opportunity of adding. And my comment was he collects dot, dot, dot eggs. I was like, is eggs a euphemism for something? I know. I'm like, I'm like, what does this mean? What is how does he what <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then you then you find out later no he's literally eggs stealing stealing eggs from nests yeah and taking and them different types of birds presumably to eat yeah but then is it really a collection i i, I don't know i assume because why would you just keep the, wouldn't it eventually hatch I don't know enough about eggs. Or, or rot. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I would assume, you know, they wouldn't hatch simply because you don't have the mother there yeah, to... Like incubated. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was a very confusing, like, start to the chapter where I'm like, why are we talking about eggs? He's worried about Venner getting people sacked, which... They met Venner is the guy whose land is where the yeah. eggs are apparently. But when we get to a later chapter and Venner actually shows up, I'm like, who the hell is this dude? Because <laughs> I'd forgotten. Because just barely mentioned. They part with Gray agreeing to say Barrett's name at roll call, which is apparently a big thing because it happens yeah. like four or five times, I think, in this book. Yeah, it's yeah. fairly popular. Yeah. I wrote, Woodhouse talks a lot about woods and birds here. I didn't mind that part. <laughs> um, honestly, if it served a purpose, I mean, sure. I mean, it's like, okay, you're being overly descriptive about something. Is there a reason? There was not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Barrett finds a hollow tree. He's Stands in it and finds the hollowness goes about five feet. He also finds a book, a box of matches. He lights a match and sees hung pheasants and partridges and rabbits. Mm -hmm. So somebody's using it to poach. Poach there. And somehow, with all the keepers on this land, nobody notices this, even though they have, they have dogs. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Oh, and he also discovers the two pots from the burglary, but then he hears the dog. Mm -hmm. And that's the end of that chapter. So my other note for this chapter, besides just generally being confused about Barrett as a person, <laughs> was... He was a person. <laughs> more, more confusion about him, honestly. And his absolutely insane decision to see this, like, hollow tree that is completely dark inside and he's like you know what i'm gonna go inside it like what i i i will counter that with <laughs> he is a teenage boy to me that's the beginning of a horror film true but or like labyrinth 
it, it makes sense when you understand that he is a teenage boy. <laughs> it does, but I'm just like, my note, when he's like, he, he goes, he let himself gently into the darkness. And my note was, my dude, are you crazy? And it turns out, like, the hole is only, like, five feet or something like that. But it's still just like, no. No, never I'm, do a thing where you're like, this is the beginning of a horror film. <laughs> two counterpoints. One, he is a teenage boy. <laughs> two, they did not have horror movies to see you in 1902. Yeah, I guess that's fair. <laughs> so... They had to have horror books. Um, okay, yes, I, Frankenstein and Dracula were around <laughs> by then, but yeah, you know, probably uh, boys who went to boarding school generally weren't reading those. I would yeah. assume. Yeah. That oh yeah, for that, that, that was it. It was just me being very confused by Plunk. I, I do have to say, whatever his face is, that I appreciate chapters seven, eight, and nine. Because we basically stick with one character through them. Yeah, and it moves the plot. Yeah, and <laughs> those are probably my favorite chapters just for that. Yeah. Just because it's like, oh, we're sticking with Barrett. It's moving the plot along, only to be destroyed later, which I will go <laughs> on a rant about <laughs> when it happens. Okay. But... Chapter 8. A voice asks Jack the dog what he's found. Another voice comes and asks what's going on. The dog's owner thinks the dog has found a rabbit. They find the eggs Barrett had and assume a schoolboy is there stealing eggs, which of course is what is happening. They go off and Barrett waits a while before coming out. Uh, suddenly Barrett hears multiple men around him. He believes they were laying a trap for him. And he takes off. He is far out pacing the keepers when he jumps and lands on something he realizes is human. He tells the person to run, but the keepers catch him, the person he jumped on, not Barrett, and assume he is the person that they were chasing. Barrett listens as the person he jumped on tells the keepers he is not who they were chasing, and Barrett recognizes the voice as Plunkett. Barrett runs into the road where a cyclist nearly hits him, but Barrett falls onto him. Yeah. That's that's the end of the chapter. So we got Barrett and Plunkett in a chapter together. Yay. <laughs> My only note was highlighting Plunkett's name. Because okay. I was like, oh, did he do the burglary? Like it, I was just highlighting it just so I remembered it. I mean, because, and I think that's the only reason he's a novel to give us yeah. like the red herring. Oh, yeah, Plunkett. Yeah, because I'm like no. he's just like randomly in these woods. Yeah, spoiler alert: it wasn't Plunkett. It wasn't Plunkett. <laughs> You'll never guess who it was. Literally, can't. Literally, you'll never guess. <laughs> Don't beat him any other time. I think. We'll get into it later, but I think that's the most annoying part of the novel mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, because you want it to be someone that we have ex like experience with. Yeah. All right. So chapter nine, Barrett apologizes. The man says he is not hurt. Well, a slight bruise. Barrett admits he was running from the keepers. It turns out that the man is a detective looking into the burglary. 
Barrett thinks about pointing out that he found the cuffs, but then realizes he would have to answer some uncomfortable questions, such as why he wasn't at roll call. The detective talks about being shot at by a burglar and other scars he has, because sure, why not? <laughs> why wouldn't you talk about that to a child you just met? Yeah. <laughs> they part at St. Austin's, and Barrett goes to the study and talks to Reed about his adventure, mentioning Plunkett. He talks about the cups also. Mm-hmm. That's it. So this was the chapter where I realized where I had met Barrett before. Oh, <laughs> it wasn't. It wasn't in chapter seven or. Whatever. So you went through these three chapters. I went when, through these three oh, chapters. This is a whole new character. Yeah, and then when he, because there's a mention of, uh, their Barrett is filling Reed in and. Reed was fairly startled out of his dignified reserve. For the first time since they had their little difference, he addressed Barrett. And I was like, oh, that's I've seen them before. And I know it seems like, well, Scott and Robin just don't pay attention. No, there are so many characters. We pay attention. There are so many characters, and they don't stand out, so they kind of just all mix together. Because they're boring. I mean... Like, this one is is just not... There's there's not... There's just not. (laughs) Usually I would go, well, a teenage boy is not the type of character that Robin's gonna like, but no, they're just boring, and yeah. Like, and there's nothing about these these boys that make me dislike them like yeah charters is a little like pretentious or whatever but he's nowhere near smith so he's fine and like all the rest of them are just like they're just boys which is uh, fine but that's that's it that's that's all it is they're just boys yeah i i think (laughs) bear work barrett works for me just because we spend that huge chunk of chapter seven through nine with him that we get to, you know, experience that. Whereas all the other characters, you meet them and then they go away for a while and then they come back and it's like, oh, okay. But I think for the most part, he'll show up again, but Barrett's part is essentially over at this point. Yeah. Yeah, because like there's like a little part somewhere later, but that's about it. Chapter 10. Um, did you have any other notes? I'm sorry. Uh, no. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I am not sorry. <laughs> that was about it. Uh, chapter 10. The masters also discussed the burglary, including Mr. Thompson with a P, which Woodhouse points out is no relation to Alan or Jim Thompson. <laughs> Because we need more confusion. Thompson is proud of his powers of observation, likening himself to Sherlock Holmes. And you know, when I'm... As soon as I saw that, I'm like, uh uh-oh. When a master, you know, compares himself to Sherlock Holmes, it's not going to be fun. (laughs) Uh, I will not go on another Watson defense. Since he doesn't yeah, really like there's, Watson. yeah, there's no nothing about Watson. There's no need for a defense of anything. There's always a need to defend Watson, 
But uh, Thompson goes to the pavilion to do some deducting and runs into uh, Detective Roberts. Thompson thinks it's a professional burglar, but Robert shows how the cut glass was done to leave some jagged bitch. <laughs> some jagged bits, sorry. <laughs> I just I just went all Alanis Morissette there for a second. <laughs> what your professional wouldn't have done. They noticed the pane of glass through which Jim had gone through, and the detective finds some caked mud on the sill. Thompson, which I have to make sure to pronounce the P each time. Well, because it gets very confusing. Yeah. Because at no point is Woodhouse like, maybe I'll use Jim's first name. Like, no, it's constantly Thompson and Thompson. So he goes to the common room and sees a letter for Jay Thompson. His first name is John. And he doesn't notice the missing P. So he opens it discovering it wasn't for him and that it was from Alan. Remember him? Asking Jim for two pounds. And I... I'm like, I thought this part was so stupid. Like, sir, this is unethical. Well, it's, it not only is it unethical, which, like, yes, but, like, the consequences to this is so paper-thin. Because <laughs> it's a letter. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like it's just it's just so stupid I don't know like it just really bothered me that all the drama Jim experiences after this is because of this one thing that isn't even really incriminating like the letter literally says like hey do you have the two pounds you owe me I need it like, nowhere does it really imply that Jim is hard up for money. Nowhere does it imply that he'd be willing to steal. Like, it's just so flimsy. Uh, we, yeah, we do get into, uh, I think, chapter 12, where uh, there's an interview with Jim. And, and I'm kind of like, except for the fact that you may be intimidated by a uh, housemaster and the headmaster interviewing you. There's not really anything yeah. for him to admit to. Yeah. The, the fact that Thompson like read a letter that wasn't his and then yeah. went to the headmaster on this thing saying that this is evidence. Like, it's evidence of what? Yeah, and I don't that know. That he owes that. money? <laughs> boarding schools in the early 1900s it's like yeah I, I mean now we'd be like well you can't use evidence of yeah a, a private letter yeah because you but, have, like, i mean blah, blah, blah. you know i assume rights back then were far sure so well, I, mean, I i don't know yeah like my issue is is less about reading a letter that wasn't his because I, I assume that, like, in that day, it was acceptable. But it's more of, like, using that as a reason to suspect Jim. Because, to me, there was nothing in that letter to suspect him of. Yeah, the, the whole, like, oh, you needed money, therefore you are therefore the you, kind of like, Yeah, I was like, that's uh, quite a leap. 
my my other comment was when the inspector like confirmed my theory about the neat cut of the glass but also proved it by like willingly cutting himself and <laughs> I was just my comment was just like, ow because like I have to imagine it's like a teeny tiny sliver of glass and that hurts like hell I, I gotta say that honestly he was one of the more interesting characters in the he book was. I, he had I, such a weird way of talking. <laughs> yeah, I would have enjoyed uh, like this entire novel more from his point of view than anything yeah. else, I think. <laughs> yeah. And we really got very little of him overall. Yeah, he's he's only in like a couple scenes. That was all I had for that chapter. Okay. Chapter 11. It's sports day. Yay. Sports happen. Yeah. Um, Jim, <laughs> Jim is nervous. Charteris, Welch, and Tony find him. They see Thompson talking to <laughs> the headmaster, and Jim thinks they're talking about him. Which was also quite a leap. Like, I understand he has a guilty conscience, and so it makes sense, but I'm like, that's quite the assumption, my dude. <laughs> it's like... Uh, you are talking about him. Don't, don't do it like right there in front of him. I mean, yeah. Well, like, plus I'm like, Jim, you're not being like inconspicuous. You're staring at them while they're talking about you. Like you look so guilty. And this one I love just for the pure why of it. But the lunch bell goes off and they can tell it's Maravel ringing it. Yeah, I don't understand that. Sir Woodhouse, why did you feel the need to tell us this? Why is this relevant? Because it doesn't come up at any other time. No. I it's was, not relevant. It's, it's just like... Thing. That's the thing that bothered me about this novel is I read stuff and I was going, oh, like, this is going to show up later. Yeah. And it never did. <laughs> it never did. And you can't even say it's a red herring because it doesn't have anything to do with the plot. It's literally just, this is useless information. <laughs> The sports were to begin at two. Uh, Woodhouse talks who is about who is likely to win it. Different sporting events mm -hmm. that do not matter to us at all. It, if it matters to you, good for you. But also, just read the sports section of a newspaper. I mean... Yeah, well, because he's mentioning characters that, like, half of them we never see. They're literally just a name. Yeah. <laughs> it's like in the first chapter when he's talking about this boxing match. Yeah. It happens. That doesn't contain any of the characters that we even need to worry about. It's just like, okay, we get it. Plum, you like writing about sports. That's so funny because I, ha I have a note somewhere in this like second half where I do, I say something and I'm like, okay, Plum. <laughs> <laughs> I pull out his nickname because I'm angry. <laughs> it's like I feel I can call you this because you're making of what me read you this. Made me suffer through. <laughs> uh, Woodhouse spends several pages describing the events of the mile race. Yeah. Uh, Jim is ahead most of the time, but Drake beats him by a foot at the end. So Jim doesn't win. He still needs money. Yeah. And guess what? What? I don't have any notes on this chapter. 
Because <laughs> I found it that boring. I was just like, okay. Did, did you just skip over the description of the racing? No, I read. I read the descriptions of the race, but I didn't have anything to say besides, like, why. I I also read it, but it was like, I don't know why I read it, because it pretty much just dropped out of my head. And yeah. It's like... It's not relevant. Like, he, he could have easily just said, like, pretty much like you did. Sports day arrived. Sports happened. Jim didn't win his race. There. Yeah. I mean, it, you can't even use the excuse of, like, in the, in the Mike novels, it's like, oh, well, describing the cricket in painful detail actually serves some purpose. It's like... Sure. No, this race that none of the characters we have met is in does not matter. Yeah. You just like to write about it, which is fine. But your editor should have said, we don't need this. <laughs> Guy who's been dead 50 years, an editor who's probably been dead longer. This is why I don't really post my book reviews of Woodhouse on Instagram. <laughs> so I'm like, who, who's reading this? <laughs> I and definitely won't do this one. <laughs> until this book, you have enjoyed yeah, to varying degrees the books that we have read by Woodhouse. Yeah. I, mean, I do I post like probably half of them if they're like standalones. But I also notice you usually don't post ones at least that i've seen where you don't have physical copies of stuff yeah like i i won't i won't post like jeeves because it's it's in a collection yeah it's, yeah that's pretty much how i all right i'm just putting off this next chapter it's oh it, it's not it's just long okay it's long and it's stupid <laughs> so so robin's gonna have comments so Chapter I pretty much already said my comments about it, but about the whole letter being used as evidence thing. But all right, Jim congratulates Drake. So we're pretty much done with Drake now. Uh, Jim wonders. Oh, he, he pops up one more time. Does he? <laughs> yeah. Sure. Why not? It's also about running. <laughs> uh, Jim wonders what he can do to repay the debt. Tony wonders if he can talk his father into it. Jim doesn't think so. Trotteris says he has something that will help Jim, but goes such a long way to say it that I get annoyed. He suggests publishing a special number of the glowworm to make the money. Uh, okay. Yeah. I, I, the... We don't really know enough about the glowworm to like care. Yeah. It's like, what what's so yeah. special about it? Uh, the, I mean, I'm assuming it's, I'm assuming it's essentially like a gossip rag for the boarding school mm -hmm. that people pay money to read. But the way they describe it just seems like like a student newspaper, really. Yeah, yeah. Because, I mean, they're writing about sports in there, too, and stuff, so I'm like... Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Jim wonders if there's enough time, it being Saturday... Charteris thinks they can have it made by Monday and sold by Tuesday. Jim goes to see the headmaster and sees that Thompson is also there. The headmaster says, Jim is being accused of the burglary. <laughs> sure, why not? And Jim asks if Mr. Thompson is the person accusing him. He, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jim suggests that Mr. Thompson should be treated. Uh, 
mentally, apparently, <laughs> and says the accusation of the crown, which I'm kind of like, okay, Jim is bold enough to say something like that, but then almost admits what like almost wets is. himself. It, it's it's like, uh, I don't know. Uh, Jim asked for what evidence against him. Thompson suggests evidence shows it was an unskilled hand, which eliminates pretty much no. nobody at the school. Yeah. <laughs> Thompson points out that secondly, it has been proven that Jim is in need of money. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, it's like, th this is nothing. This is Jim shoddy work. <laughs> yeah. Jim and you need money. Therefore, you did it. Like, I was like, how many boys at that boarding school need money? I'm sure all 600 of them. Yeah. Jim asked for the letter. Jim admits that he needed money because of a bet, which really sets the headmaster off because apparently he is very down with betting. Apparently. Uh, I, I don't know if I mentioned it later or not, but he's also a reverend. So maybe oh, that's I didn't. Why. I didn't know it, that. It, it just when it mentions his name, uh, Reverend, whatever, whatever his name is. I pretty much just went with the headmaster because I have enough yeah. names here. <laughs> the head uh, says Jim was nowhere to be found in the house at half past eight on the night of the burglary. Okay, how how do you know this? This is all <laughs> circumstantial. <laughs> Uh, this would not then, hold up in a court of law. <laughs> and then this part bothered me. The head tells Jim to see him after morning school on Monday. It's like, why don't you just yeah continue like, why? With this now? Why why are you putting this off? I don't <laughs> get it. But the, yeah, that's the end of chapter twelve. It's so frustrating. Um, I this is a chapter where I decided that I like Jim though. You you. Like that he got a little bit snippy with. That's exactly what happened. Because he, he's like, could I have the letter, sir? Then with respectful venom to Mr. Thompson, if you have finished with it. And my comment was, okay, I liked it. I mean, yeah, like I said, I don't I don't know what the uh, the ethics of it is, but I'm like, dude, you read somebody's private letter. I mean, Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and also that was the only note I had for that chapter. Uh, chapter 13, uh, the head is told by his butler that Sir Alfred Venner, who is an MP, and then who I like, the oh! The, the MP the, part doesn't really matter at all. It doesn't matter. What but, matters is he owns the land yeah, where all the eggs are. I didn't realize who he was until I got to the part where I write, he is there to talk about students getting on his property. I'm like, oh! Yeah. That guy. Uh, I will note here that I'm actually enjoying the headmaster too. Oh, so, okay. Yeah, I didn't have an issue with the headmaster. Yeah, I, I, I like the headmaster and I like the detective. Do you uh, like the adults? It's not all the adults, obviously. <laughs> I, I think the the yeah, the, those are the only two mm -hmm. that that I like. Obviously, I don't like Venner and mm -hmm. I forget there was another adult that I oh Thompson. Thompson. <laughs> and I can understand liking uh Jim. Yeah. Vineer, Venner, Vineer, whatever. Venner. 
that dude wants a headmaster to punish Plunkett. And, and I'm like, why? Oh, yeah. Because <laughs> he was trespassing. I was like, I had forgotten. <laughs> the headmaster points out that Plunkett, being a prefect, doesn't have the same rules as other students. Mm-hmm. Which is a true thing, but a stupid thing. Yeah, I was like, it's true, but idiotic. <laughs> uh, <laughs> then her ask if Plunkett is also allowed to smoke. He points out a matchbox was found on the boy when the keeper caught him. And I, at that point, I'm like, oh, is that the one that uh, Barrett? Oh, Barrett, yeah. <laughs> I was like, oh, is Plunkett being set up? But then he also pulls out a t- tobacco pouch and a pipe. So apparently mm-hmm. Plunkett was actually smoking. Uh, Venner leaves and a headmaster calls Plunkett to his office. Plunkett says his father lets him smoke at home, which, like, okay. <laughs> but then Woodhouse is like, if you're ever in a similar position, like, he puts in frenzies, if you're ever in a similar position, don't say that your father lets you smoke at home. It is a <laughs> fatal mistake. And I was just like, oh. that's That's one area so it's like, oh, there's some of the Woodhouse humor. Yeah. I was like, I appreciate you breaking the fourth wall to give me advice. <laughs> uh, the headmaster goes off on a tear with the end result being that Plunkett is not being expelled, but he, that he is to not come back after the holidays. What certainly seems a little bit like an expulsion, if not a delayed one. Yeah. It's like, dude, you're expelled just later. <laughs> yeah. You're not being expelled, but you can't come back. <laughs> What, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so that—that's. I mean, that's Plunkett. That's, he, that's he shows up in the next chapter, but essentially sure. he's done. And yeah, that's all we get with Plunkett. That was yeah. all it. Yeah. Served absolutely <laughs> no purpose in this novel. Um. My comments were saying that it was stupid to have prefects have different rules. <laughs> oh, and then me showing appreciation to... Oh, this is when I said Plum. When he broke the fourth wall to give us advice about what to say if we're ever caught smoking. I just put a crying, laughing face and said, thanks, Plum. <laughs> At the very end, when Plunkett goes back to his study and tells Dallas that he's not going to come back next year. Or whatever. Uh, <laughs> Plunkett says, don't trouble to lie about being sorry, said Plunkett with a sneer. <laughs> Thanks, said Dallas, gratefully. Since you mentioned it, I rather think I won't. <laughs> I was just like, okay, kind of like Dallas, too, even though we don't see him again. You you just enjoy people being snippy to other people. <laughs> I do, because there's nothing else about this novel for me to like really enjoy. So I have to appreciate the moments of snark. <laughs> Hey, chapter 14. You had no other notes, right? Nope, that was it. Chapter 14. More sports stuff. <laughs> Vaughn and Dallas celebrate the news of Plunkett leaving. There's another race. Jim fades quickly and says he's done. He lays down, goes back to his room. Jim runs into the babe, which I forgot about later. I'm like, <laughs> the headmaster is notified that Detective Roberts wants to see him. End of chapter. Okay. Um, I had a question. <laughs> Hold on, I have to remember what this question was about. 
<laughs> I I need to point out again that both of us finished this novel yesterday. Yesterday. Um so it's it's about a sports thing. Oh god. Um <laughs> Oh, about Welch winning I think the mile. Um which he Welch is no, usually like a the a mile short... was the day before. This is the cross country one. Yeah, but hold on. The the one that Jim basically faded out of, that's cross country one. Yeah, no, I know. Oh, okay. So the, there's a part about Welch winning the half mile the following year and having beaten out someone else. And Plum says the tale of which is told elsewhere. And my question is, is it and why? I mean, probably uh, there is a short story collection called The Tales of St. Austin, so <sighs> which I've read, but I don't, don't remember. remember much. <laughs> <laughs> I have to be honest, of what I've read of them so far, the schoolboy stories don't really stick out for me. Honestly, the ones that stick out most are Mike. Of what I've read, and I have not read them all. Yeah, that's the best. <laughs> yeah, um, that was also my only note for that chapter. Okay, <laughs> chapter fifteen. Robert explains that the person who stole the cups is, as we all suspected, Stokes. And you might be thinking, well, Scott and Robin haven't mentioned a character named Stokes before. That's how you'd be good. right. <laughs> because be right. we haven't <laughs> Stokes has not been mentioned at any point in this novel uh, Stokes is apparently a farmhand Roberts encountered him uh, at the village inn uh, Stokes was intoxicated and just spilling money all over the place mm -hmm. Roberts believes that he had seen the man on school grounds he takes a picture of him, but he has to develop later. It's not like we do with just camera yeah. on the phone. <laughs> because I thought, like, it's like, oh, he, he took the picture and then he went to, oh, no, he has to develop it first. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, gives the man his money and then he shadows him. He takes uh, the picture to the man who maintains the cricket field, Biffin, who has been mentioned before, but doesn't really play a huge part. So who cares? Biffin believes the man worked on the grounds at the time of the robbery. Robert goes to Stokes. You may have forgotten him in the last minute or so. And gets him to admit it. But the man had, had hidden the cups. He uh, says where they were. And Robert suggests the headmaster write to Venner about it. I don't know why the detective wouldn't just go to Venner and say, hey, there are some cups sitting on your grounds we need to get. But, okay. And I was like, okay, it's to make an embarrassing exchange between the headmaster and Venner. But, no, we don't get that either. Nope. <laughs> Roberts also suggests that the headmaster not prosecute Stokes, believing imprisonment would lead him to a further life of crime. Probably. Probably. Well, letting him go will turn him away from a life of crime. Not necessarily. 
Yeah. The headmaster agrees <laughs> and then sends for Jim so that he can be let off, but receives a note that Jim has been gone from the house since lunchtime. So any notes or comments, Robin? So, um, no. Fucking Stokes. Because I, I was like, that, I was so frustrated because I'm like, not only is it a character we've not met before, but we also don't get the confrontation, right? Like, like in other mystery books, like, like Agatha Christie, you know, Perot has this like big thing where he's like, let me explain everything to everyone involved. It, it, we don't get that. No. It's just Robert's going, okay, let me tell you what happened a little while ago. <laughs> yeah. Like, 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 I'm sorry. That's boring. So, no, I, I don't have any notes. I was just annoyed. I, I mean, it would have been better if it had been like Biffin or like some, sure. at least some minor character that we had been introduced. Yeah. You could have mentioned Stokes like in a scene or two here. Somebody... Working for Biffin on the grounds or something. Yeah, something. But it's just like, no, this guy that we haven't even seen in the novel at all, that was the guy. Yeah. Cool. That's great. What is this novel about? No, I'm seriously asking, what is this novel about? What's a theme? I honestly I don't know. <laughs> What's it all mean? <laughs> it would have made more sense to me if it was like the inimitable Jeeves where it was a interconnected short stories. Sure, sure. Oh but it's obviously not because individually these chapters don't really do anything. They they don't do anything. There's they no barely do anything as a novel. <laughs> And then the subsequent chapters that we will be talking about don't really have anything to do with the previous chapters. It's just yeah. like, oh, a new thing happened. And we have to do something about that. Yeah. I'm so glad. I don't know when the next school book we're reading, but it's for a while, I think. Mm -hmm. I may actually change it if it's coming up too quickly. I wish that people could see... <laughs> what you look like right now because that for the past two minutes has literally had his head in his hands just looking like with abject terror at the <laughs> idea of reading another school story <laughs> alright let me look up real quick okay I don't know if that's a school story I don't think it is the next one that I know is a school story probably we don't, ha we don't have to read till Probably sometime this time next year. Okay. You said you had no notes on that? Nope. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Chapter 16. Uh, the headmaster interviews Maryville, the head the housemaster. Mm -hmm. Too many masters here. Yeah. Bader. <laughs> Another Buffy reference. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Maravell says that separate people have given conflicting thoughts about seeing Jim in different places at the same time. Headmaster tells about the suspicions of Jim and that the uh, headmaster thinks Jim might have run away. Maravell doesn't think this is the case. 
They go to Welch, who they believe to be the last person to see Jim. If you remember, uh, they had the cross-country race where Jim laid down. Welch was winning the race at the time. Welch says Jim dropped out around Parker's Spinney, wherever that is. It's the big plowed field. I don't care. That apparently struck terror into all the runners. Yeah, that's cool. Which I was confused about. You, nothing matters. <laughs> Maraville gathers the prefects. He sends them to search for Jim. I had a question. <laughs> sure, why not? So at the beginning, the headmaster is sending... Oh, what's his face? I don't know. He has a name. I don't know what it is. Uh, Parker, um, the butler? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the, but in the butlers do not do this. It's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> a butler is on errand boy. And my question was like, no? What are the duties of butlers anyway? Because <laughs> I'm like, I thought they were errand boys. I mean, well, not you errand boys, but like. I was going to say, you have to remember uh, Woodhouse's views on butlers and ballots. Uh, they basically yeah. act are actually in charge of the house. But of course this is Woodhouse's first novel. So, but apparently it was pretty much set in stone for him at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. I was just confused. Cause I'm like, look, I know yes. Butler runs the house and, and like, and that makes sense, but isn't part of their job to also like go and fetch people. The only thing I can think as well, but it's leaving the residence. Apparently, sure, can't leave the residence. <laughs> if it's in another room in the house, sure, I can do that. But no, to leave I, the house, no. no. I'm a vampire. <laughs> a lot of Buffy references. I just, you know, <laughs> I, I I enjoy. Pretty much any Buffy episode more than I'm enjoying this novel. Um, <laughs> there, there are a lot of stinkers too. So yeah, that was my only note. Okay, I was just wondering what the duties of a butler, because that apparently is more interesting to me than the actual novel. Yeah. Chapter seventeen: The prefects yell for Jim. <laughs> There is no answer. <laughs> I was about to say, I'm like, is that your summary? That's it. <laughs> <laughs> they yell for Jim. That's it. Um, there's no answer, so they decide to go off in a different direction. Curtis runs runs into a keeper who has no patience for inquiries. The keeper rushes at Charteris, who hides behind Tony. The keeper hits Tony, and Tony hits him back, knocking him down. I'm like, what is the purpose of this? What does this serve in the novel? Well, I'm also confused about this, like, adult man who is a keeper who sees someone in the dark and immediately just punches. <laughs> Even though Tony or Charter is like, we're trying to ask him questions. <laughs> He's like, nope, gonna punch you. Like, I'm <laughs> confused by that. They go back to the school grounds, I assume, leaving this keeper just on the ground. <laughs> yeah. Um, they run into Biffin, who says he saw Jim around 4:30 and that he had gone off with uh MacArthur. And I'm like, 
who's MacArthur? And and yeah, then they they go to see the babe. I was like, why are they seeing the babe? Where's MacArthur? I still don't remember that babe is MacArthur. <laughs> babe says he last saw Jim at six. He sent them off on a shortcut through the woods, and there's a quarry in the middle. The babe put some boots on, and they all head there. They hear Jim yelling. He hurt his ankle is, in a, is about 10 feet down. The babe goes to get more help, coming back with his father and several dinner guests. And this, I think, is where I realized, oh, the babe <laughs> is MacArthur. <laughs> and Jim is taken back to the babe's house. Yeah. Um, I... <laughs> actually, <laughs> chapter. While, while this chapter... The the plot is like what you think the plot of the story is is over now, and we still have two chapters. This, yeah, but this is an entirely different thing. I didn't mind this chapter because I did think it was like a peek at Woodhouse and and his humor, especially his humor within language, because Charteris when Babe says it like, oh yeah, there's a quarry in the shortcut that I told Jim to take. Charteris is like, great Scott man, what sort of a quarry? I like the calm way the babe talks of sending unsuspecting friends into quarries. And I was like, you know what? That's probably exactly how I would react. Like, I like how you're just like, oh yeah. No, this, this whole chapter, fall in. This chapter on its own, except for the confusion that I had about the babe MacArthur, is fine. Yeah. I, it's, it's just. It does nothing for the plot. In the, plot in the novel, I'm like, what? Why? How? What? I'm sorry, you had more notes? No, that was it. Oh, God. <laughs> so this is just going to be you making one or two comments and me going slowly insane. <laughs> That'll be fun for you to edit. Coo, coo, coo. <laughs> coo, coo, coo. <laughs> chapter 18. The final chapter. Thank God. Final chapter. The prefects tell... Oh, spoiler, I don't have any notes on this chapter. You son of a bitch. <laughs> the prefects tell Merville that they found Jim. And I love how Merville is just a huge part of these last three chapters or so after not really having any presence beforehand. Because of his weird way of ringing the bell. Yeah. Apparently. Which was very important and really... It's what tied the whole novel together. <laughs> Merrillville sends someone to tell the headmaster. The headmaster resolves to talk to Jim about the evils of betting. Sure, or why not? But when he goes to uh, the MacArthur house, the babe's mother is in the room along with the babe's sister. Which I don't know that they specifically say it's a sister, but they do say Miss. MacArthur and Mrs. MacArthur, so I assumed. Yeah. Maybe they I think, did. I think I you're right. The babe has advised them not to leave Jim alone with the headmaster. The headmaster talks about the burglary. Jim thinks he's going to accuse him right there in front of the ladies, but the headmaster points out the man who is actually guilty. Oh, yeah, Stokes. Stokes, yes. 
Barrett, who had discovered the cups, I mentioned this and I wrote this because we might have all forgotten. <laughs> he vows to go to the headmaster about them, but Mr. Roberts has discovered the cups. I I I read this yesterday and I forgot how oh I don't I think he talked to a keeper. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah I think he talked to a keeper. Uh the headmaster calls Welch to give him his winning cup because you know it's really Welch's story that I was really worried about. Yeah. Him making running. sure he gets his prize. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and Barrett comes in seeing this, and then he makes up a request on the spot so he doesn't have to uh, admit that he had been on land he wasn't supposed to. Yeah. Jim, for unknown reasons, had not been able to do anything on the glowworm. Uh, okay, the little quarry thing, whatever. Charteris remembers, uh, he writes Jim's bits, and he, Tony and Welch, all work on putting the printing together. There's a big thing about handwriting being recognized, and the, so and they have something called jelly graphing. Jelly graphing, so that handwriting wouldn't be recognized, which means they would have to work harder. They do. They finish at a quarter past two. That's pretty much it. That is the novel The Pot Hunters by P.G. Woodhouse, his first novel. What is it about? I don't Who know. Knows? <laughs> I, I literally don't know. The, the, the closest thing to an actual answer is what happens to many different characters at a boarding school centered around a bird. Oh. <laughs> It, uh, true. I mean, you could say it either way. I mean, yeah, because you you need the cups for the sports day. Yeah, not my favorite. No, uh, as I <laughs> as I said before, I've only rated one Woodhouse book as less than average, and that was a nonfiction book. Yeah, uh, this will be the first novel that, if you're rating out a a five star system would be under 2.5. I don't know what it would be yet, but it's going to be under 2.5 stars for me. I'm going to say that it is either 2.5 or 3 for you. I'm pretty sure it's a 3. Yeah. Yeah, it's a 3. It Out of a 10, it got exactly a 6 because for most categories, I put a 6. For intrigue, I put a five, and for logic, I put a seven. Robin and I have talked uh, about our our rating systems on a video that should be out by the time this uh, podcast goes up on One Eye on the Page, my YouTube page, which I will link in the description. Robin tends to grade more leniently. Yeah. Um, if I rated something a three star that would be something we're like i'm not gonna rush to but i might read that book again mm, okay. i am not reading this book again i'm not either it, and i returned it as soon as we got to the last <laughs> chapter 
Because <laughs> I, I checked it out from the library. And yeah. so I just, I, I just returned I, it as soon as we got I, to the library. I got it that huge collection that you can get for free on Kindle. So yeah. I have a, a lot of novels in there. So I'm like, and it didn't cost me anything. So yeah. it's almost worth it. But so, yeah. Yeah. So what are we going to be talking about next, Dad? <laughs> you you don't want to talk more about this novel? What else is there to say? I think if it was just bad that we would have enjoyed it more, at least talking yeah. about it more. Yeah. But yeah, it's just it was a slog. And considering it was only 120 pages, that's Oh my it. god. <laughs> Yeah, and I kept putting it off. Mm -hmm. You know, I was reading it for like over a week, and then yesterday it's like, okay, Robin's pretty close, so I need yeah. to finish this. So I read like nine chapters yesterday. I was just like, yeah, because Dad finished it. I think just a couple hours before I did. <laughs> yeah. Next time, this is gonna yeah. be fun for Robin. Yeah. We're gonna be reading Smith in the City, another adventure with Mike and Smith. They are no longer in school. They, slight spoiler for Robin, who has not read it yet. I have read it previously. Uh, we'll be working at a bank. Cool. There is some cricket. At this point, I would prefer cricket over Smith. Yeah. And, and <laughs> it, not to the extent that we had in the previous two Mike novels. Can't even call it Mike. It this one is kind of almost equal Mike and Smith. And as I have said before, the more we go on with Smith, the more it's Smith and the less Mike. Mike. Yeah. So, but this one's still kind of even. So I am going to make a prediction that I think you will like it more than Mike and Smith. Okay. But I also could see me being wrong. <laughs> but I think you will enjoy it more. Okay. Um, I do think some of the things that annoy you about Smith will still continue to annoy you. Probably. It, Smith doesn't go through a lot of character change, so he's still Smith. He's just older. Okay. You don't really get a lot of change from him until uh, Leave it to Smith, which is the Blanding's Castle novel, and also the last Smith novel. Great. Can't but, wait. But that's three books away. Three Smith books away. I was going to say, I'm like, do not make me read every Smith book back to back. No, we're reading, next time we're reading Smith in the City, then we're doing Carry on Jeeves. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then we're doing Smith Journalist. And then we're doing it Leave It to Smith. Okay, so I essentially have them back. We are doing two in a row, but the Leave It to Smith is also Blanding's Castle, so you get everybody at Blanding's Castle, too. And I get the Honorable Freddy back. Yes, yes. I was about to say, at, at some point in the uh, Blanding's Castle, Freddy kind of is they no know. longer yeah. yeah um but no he's still here in this one okay. if you haven't read this 
book. Don't. One, you shouldn't have gotten to this point in the podcast. Should have probably should have read the book before you listened to this podcast. I mean, you don't have to read the book in order to listen to the podcast, especially yeah, with this when we're, we're telling not you not really to read spoiling it. Spoiling anything because <laughs> there's not a lot of interest in the novel. But I mean, again, this is just our opinion. Yeah, we just happen to share the same opinion. Two people who don't often agree on books. If there is someone boring. Yes, if there is someone who likes the Potter, that's great. That's awesome. I'm super happy for you. We were not those people, but I am very glad that there are people who did enjoy this book. Yeah, this is, to me, the worst Woodhouse novel I have read. And I have read most of them. Yeah. I, I have a few more school novels to read and one of them may be worse than this <laughs> you know it just it's it was his first novel and, and it shows and that that's fine I, he, he grows obviously yeah i'm glad that he got past this and that i don't know maybe people did enjoy it at the time but sure that he was able to continue writing and to give us such great books that we have in our future to look forward to yeah this was not one of them thank you everyone for listening i'm just gonna go ahead and just wrap this up because i was just gonna keep talking about how boring it is so sadly i mean i just feel like i don't know thanks everyone because because the book was so boring i have a feeling this episode's gonna be boring and i feel bad about that again I'm glad that I was able to go slowly insane for you people so you had something to look forward to. I will leave that in the description. <laughs> Scott slowly goes insane. It'll be fun for you. It was torturous for him, but <laughs> whatever right. good listens. <laughs> Thank you, everyone, for going on this journey with us. We really appreciate you. And we will see you at some point in the future with Smith of the City. Smith in the City. Better than this. I'll be dashed. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs>